This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, the big guns are beginning to make a move on the Republican nomination to run for president in 2024. Amazingly, it's less than two years now until the next presidential election in the United States whilst we're still recovering from the consequences of the general election of 2020, which Donald Trump Lost And this week, Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, and also Donald Trump's U.S. ambassador to the U.N., a formidable CV, announced that she was running, and she announced it, came out fighting, referring to generational change and to the need for cognitive tests for those over 75. Can only be a reference there to Donald Trump and Joe Biden. We're joined now from Washington by Niall Stanich. Niall, of course, is the associate editor of The Hill newspaper, very respected American newspaper for not being so partisan as so many of them are. Niall is also a White House columnist for The Hill. Niall, Nikki Haley came out. It was a big moment because only Trump had declared so far that he was a candidate and a runner in the nomination race. Nikki Haley, how formidable is she? Nikki Haley is a very talented politician. The question really, Eamon, is whether today's Republican Party is interested in buying what she's selling. Uh, To be fair to Nikki Haley, she has never lost an election, something that she likes to remind uh, people off quite regularly. Now, critics would say, well, she's from South Carolina. That's very Republican state. That's true enough. But when she was first running for governor, for example, she won a very competitive Republican primary in a come-from-behind victory. She's also someone who presents a very different face of the Republican Party, not only because of her gender, though, of course, that's important and would theoretically uh, make her the first a female Republican nominee, and you know, if she won the whole thing, the first woman president, but also because she's the daughter of Indian immigrants. And she foregrounded that immediately in the video that she released yes. announcing her campaign. So her appeal, in essence, is someone who is conservative, but who can expand the appeal of the Republican Party and, and turn fewer people off, honestly, than is the case with Donald Trump. Yes, and in her speech, she called very pointedly for generational change. That's clear reference to 
President Biden, who's now 80, and indeed to Donald Trump, who's 75 or about to be 75. 76, actually, but anyway. Right, 76. So uh, there was no missing the point there. She also suggested in that context of generational change that people running for president should have what she called cognitive testing. That is, how is the head working? And can you understand things? And that is no doubt a reference to both Trump and Biden as well. That's a kind of an interesting card to play at this stage. It is, and it does show the fact that uh, Nikki Haley is pretty ruthless. I mean, she's a hard hitter in saying what I said about her sort of expanding the appeal of the Republican Party. I don't want to create at all the impression that she's soft or a pushover. She's a very fierce political competitor. Yes. And that point about the cognitive test was obviously a very, very direct attack on Trump and Biden, even though she didn't use their names. Um, I was in the um, White House press briefing yesterday, that uh, Thursday here in, in Washington, and the White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked about that point, and, and she, Corinne Jean-Pierre, basically said, well, look at how Biden has performed, look at the things he's been able to accomplish. She wouldn't really engage with the idea of cognitive tests themselves, because that's obviously difficult ground for the White House to get uh, onto, but a very uh, pointed um, attack by Nikki Haley, for sure. Now, another person who's flirting with the idea of running for the Republican nomination is Mike Pompeo. He's former Secretary of State in the Trump administration. I think he was also, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, the head of the CIA at one Mm -hmm. stage. That's correct. Very formidable character in theory. But I saw a Hill television interview you did with him because he has a book he's promoting and he subjected himself to your rather rigorous questioning, which I thought was very good indeed. And he he came out of it very badly. Tell us about the book and where you were able to go after him very successfully was his unwillingness to talk about January 6th and the insurrection organized by Trump and his Trump's allies. So Mike Pompeo has a book called Never Give an Inch. Out. It is very much routine practice for politicians in this country to release a book as they are mulling presidential bids because it, it basically gets media attention and allows them to set out their case. In that book, he all, devotes it almost entirely to his service as first CIA, CIA director, which he was under Trump at the start of the Trump administration, and latterly Secretary of State, which he was for a the last Which is basically years. the highest office a uh, president can bestow, isn't that correct? Uh, yeah, more or, le- more or less. I mean, it's the equivalent of the foreign minister. It is uh, beyond vice president, I suppose. Yes. It is seen as the most senior, senior role. Now, he was obviously in that position when January the 6th happened. The exchange that you're talking about, which you've been very complimentary uh, about, was the fact that There's literally uh, one sentence about January the 6th in his book, which is about more than 400 pages long, which I asked him about. Uh, He argued that it wasn't an event that he could directly influence. And so the book was about his time at CIA and at the Department of State 
and it was quite a, a heated exchange. Um, you know, I would say to be fair and impartial, um, I don't think that he had any uh, objection to the line of questioning. He believes that the media are all liberal and biased against him and all the rest of it. And I put the contrary point of view as interviewers should do, and that was how it went. Yeah, I thought there was an element of scorn in your final question, which was you wrote a book about your time in the Trump administration and this one sentence about January 6th. But nevertheless, we'll move on from that. It was a brilliant interview, in my opinion. Thank you. If for nothing else, then unlike the much-admired Jeremy Paxman, who was showbiz, there was no showbiz in this. It was cool Belfast logic <laughs> that got him in that's, the end. Uh, that's pretty kind of him. It is, uh, very Protestant as well. I like that. Um, <laughs> unlike, unlike this podcast. Now, let me ask you about something that is looming, that was spoken about in depth this week in the United States, is the possibility that the debt ceiling, that's the amount of debt the United States is allowed to carry, which is something like $31 trillion. Janet Yellen, who is in charge of the money, she said the United States could run out of money unless the debt ceiling is raised by July, June or July, she said, depending on how things go. Now, the debt ceiling is critical, and it is not in the president's power. He has to go to the House of Representatives and to the Congress, doesn't he? He does. They have the power, and the power is reserved to them by most people's estimation, to raise the debt ceiling. It is, I think, a phrase that can be a little bit um, confusing or opaque to people, but you described it very well. It's the amount of money, the the degree to which the U.S. can go into debt. It's its credit card limit, essentially. And the uh, problem is that it is going to hit it very soon. And if it is not raised, the United States would then obviously not be able to take care of its obligations. If that were to happen, the consequences, not just for the US, but across the world, would be huge because, for better or worse, the dollar is the reserve currency of the world. The United States is the most important economy in the world. And if it were to uh, be if a situation was to be arrived at where the U.S. debt was to be obviously unsafe, um, that it would lose its uh, reputation as a safe uh, trading partner, safe debtor, debtor or creditor, that would be catastrophic for the world economy and would send shockwaves through it instantly. So that's why it's such a big deal. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Now, as Kevin McCarthy is the speaker... Our old friend, Kevin, of the mm. House of Representatives. The Republicans have a majority there. It's a slender one, but it's a majority nevertheless. And uh, among the majority, and in some senses, the tail that wags the dog and got Kevin into his job as Speaker, they are disruptors. They're very right-wing, and they don't seem to care very much what mm. damage they do. What's the feeling in Washington about the possibility that this could get out of hand? Because, as as you said, the stakes are so high. That's right. And there are real fears about this for the reason that you mentioned. The far right or hard right or MAGA right of the Republican Party in the House of Representatives has enormous leverage because Kevin McCarthy's majority is so small, it's in single figures. That's why it took him 15 goes around before he himself got elected as Speaker. Now, in that hard right, you have some people who are sincere, extreme fiscal conservatives, just think there has to be something done about American debt. You also have people who just sort of play to the gallery constantly and play to uh, that kind of hard right constituency. You put those two things together and there's a real uh, possibility that there would be some miscalculation and the debt ceiling would not be raised. Just to very briefly explain, Eamon, the contours of this debate are ones in which Republicans, including Kevin McCarthy, are requesting that in return for voting to raise the debt ceiling, cuts would be made by the Biden administration, presumably to social spending. The Biden administration is unwilling to do that because that is not normally part of raising the debt ceiling and it has not historically been. And so there's an impasse which is potentially very dangerous for the reasons that we just mentioned. And in the global sense... Ukraine might well be a place where the United States have, you know, supported with dollars and, of course, with arms as well. But the amounts of money being sent to Ukraine would be high on the list, wouldn't it, for some Republicans to be cut? Yes, it would. And it would be particularly high on the list 
for those people on the MAGA wing who we yeah. spoke about. Um, Matt Gates, for example, a congressman from Florida, yes. or Marjorie Taylor Greene, they are two people who have been particularly critical of the amounts of aid flowing to Ukraine. Now, some people who are a notch more moderate cast their doubts in a slightly different way, talking about accountability, worrying about whether there could be uh, money or arms, for that matter, used nefariously by people who get their hands on them in Ukraine, whether there's fraud and these enormous yes. amounts of aid that are going. That on its face is, you know, a valid concern. I mean, you don't want to send $100 billion to some place with no transparency about what happens to it. But the fear is that those people are actually using that more reasonable sounding argument as a way to hollow out the case for US support of Ukraine. Generally. And of course, our friend Vladimir Putin will be watching this very carefully because it will have a material bearing on Ukraine's capacity to fight their war. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Ukraine is dependent upon U.S. backing in order to hold off Russia. That's not to belittle the um, impact of aid of one kind or another from European nations in particular, but you pull the plug from U.S. support, and that's uh, the Ukrainians down the tubes, I would I would think. Uh, I mean, and you the just West. have to look. And the West, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you and I spoke in a previous podcast about the fact that when it, there was this issue about whether tanks should be given to Ukraine, yes. Germany felt clearly the need for um, political cover from the United States and the Biden administration before the Germans committed to sending tanks. That's just indicative, I think, of the broader picture. So we all have skin in this debt ceiling game, mm. and it's something that may be of considerable concern for all kinds of reasons. Janet Yellen, she's a veteran of Washington, but she's a sober analyst, and she issued the warning. And the point i like to ask you about is the degree to which Biden, if we leave aside the Ukraine business for a moment, he has spent a lot of money on what I think you believe to be important and worthy causes, such as the infrastructure in America, which was decaying. Also, of course, on the less well-off people in America, on health and reform of that. I mean, he has been a prolific spender, hasn't he? Oh, he has. I mean, there was, for example, the the, the infrastructure bill that you were talking about was a, a yes. trillion dollars. I mean, you know, this is all very big spending stuff. The Inflation Reduction Act was a, a more more debatable one way or another. But certainly there are things that Biden has, has done that have carried a hefty price tag. I would say, Eamon, that in general, the U.S. debt has spiraled to a startling level over about the past decade. And that's partly because of spending generally, but it's also particularly because of two major, major events. In seeking to recover from the financial crisis of around 2008, 9, 10, the Obama administration spent a lot of money to shore things up. Yes. Then, of course, much later, 2020, you had COVID and then the Trump administration spent enormous sums of money to try to stop the whole economy from seizing up. So you see really sharp jumps around then. In fact, 
um, because I knew we'd be talking about this before. I, I, I looked this up, and just before, about 2008, the total U.S. debt was about $10 trillion. Yeah. Now it's three times as high as that. I mean, that's yeah. an enormous uh, rise in a short period, short-ish period of time. Yes, it's incredible. And particularly for the implications of the rest of the world, which we'll leave for now. But I do want to talk to you about Donald Trump. This hasn't been a good week for Trump. And he, he's had a, a, not such a good time recently. Now, there was a move made this week against his business dealings, which we leave to one side. But there was also this incredible story that many of us witnessed more or less while it was happening of a one-hour phone call to an official, a high official in Georgia, asking for this official to find votes. And he was precise in the numbers mm-hmm. to get him over the line and to effectively commit fraud, vote, vote, voting fraud during the election. A grand jury has been sitting on this matter, and they've come out with some interesting findings this week. Does it spell trouble for Trump and others who might have engaged in what, even in it's said in perjury in their evidence to the grand jury? It spells trouble for Trump's circle, for sure. Whether it spells trouble for him, I think we're going to have to fa- uh, wait a little bit longer to be sure of. What we know is that this grand jury released portions of its report. They were released publicly and other portions were left secret. What the grand jury has found is that there is evidence that one or more witnesses before it committed perjury in its in the grand jury's opinion. And they have then encouraged the prosecutor down there, a woman by the name of Fanny Willis, to pursue the relevant charges. Now, uh, the Donald is not in immediate peril there because he did not testify to the grand jury. So it's not him that they're talking about. But nonetheless, some very well-known aides of his did testify. And furthermore, if they did indeed perjure themselves, which presumably they'll deny, but if they did, then that obviously points to the idea that, you know, you typically perjure yourself to hide wrongdoing. And so that then goes to the whole bigger issue of that phone call you're mentioning, which was Trump, who was still then the sitting president, calling Brad Raffensperger, the Republican state secretary of state in Georgia, and in this rather um, mafioso kind of way, essentially threatening Raffensperger and telling him to find exactly the number of votes required to overturn President Biden's victory in that state. Yes, it's remarkable stuff. And there is a a remarkable footnote to that. Raffensperger had, in fact, voted for Trump. But Mm. in, in a remarkable show of civic responsibility, he was not moved by this one hour phone call, and he did not allow voter fraud, which was what Trump was asking for, to take place. That is going to play out. The special counsel appointed to look into Trump's business with documents, Jack Smith, is he making progress about the documents that were kept at Mar-a-Lago and repeatedly, Trump repeatedly lied to those who were seeking the documents, which belonged to the government. And they still don't know exactly, but they were top secret, some of them, or confidential, and they belong in the White House, and he didn't give them back. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, it seems on its face to be a very serious situation for Trump, and Jack Smith is a very serious prosecutor. We know that he is at least making some measure of progress because we know there are a number of court challenges to subpoenas that he has issued. So he's clearly going after people seeking their testimony. The most famous or most high-profile example so far, I would say, is the then-Vice President Mike Pence, who, of course, the rioters or protesters on January the 6th wanted to have hanged after Pence refused to do Trump's bidding and uh, essentially overturn the election result. Uh, Pence, though, is is saying he will fight the subpoena. Uh, the grounds aren't quite clear why he will, but that, there'll be some court case there. The bigger picture or the bigger point is that Jack Smith is clearly seeking testimony from uh, various people close to Trump, and that in itself speaks to um, an intensification of his efforts. Just a final question, Niall, about the president himself. He hasn't declared that he's running yet in the 2024 election, but most people believe that's a formality he will complete very soon. He does look shaky, and yet I understand, you might put me right on this, that he still beats Trump in a head-to-head that's been done. Is that right? It depends what poll you look at. I mean, he does often beat Trump in a head-to-head, but it is uh, fairly narrow, uh, to say the least. Um, The... I mean, obviously, it depends poll by poll. There was one just in the past week that had 45% Biden, 42% Trump, and 11% wanting some other choice. The, uh, I think Biden probably has a better chance against Trump than he would against a number of other Republican candidates. Trump, despite having that deep command of the MAGA base, is quite unpopular with the public at large. And obviously has lots of liabilities with independent voters, whether it's January the 6th or all the many, many incendiary things that he has said. That being the case, it is, I think, perceived, at least by Democrats, that Trump would be the most beatable candidate for Biden. Having said that, you wouldn't rule Trump out. I mean, if it's a three-point race, you couldn't rule someone out. So uh, certainly an interesting situation. And finally, the people like Mike Pompeo, your victim this week, uh, and um, Ron DeSantis, who hasn't declared anything at the moment, and Nikki Haley, there could be quite a lineup for the nomination. I think when Trump began his journey in 2016, I think there were 16 other mm-hmm. Republicans, some of them very, very high profile, like George Bush's brother, Jeb Bush, who he wiped the floor with. Mm. But that whole circus atmosphere helped him. And it's like looking like there could be quite a field again to run against. And that would help him. It would, no question about it. And, you know, I, I kind of raised my eyebrow when he responded to Nikki Haley's entrance into the race by saying something to the effect of the more the merrier. Yeah. Certainly the more the merrier from Trump's perspective, because the people who vote for Trump are 100% dedicated to him. Now, it may not be an absolute majority of the Republican Party, but it's a significant share. Let's, for the sake of argument, say it's 35 or 40%. Well, if the other 60% are divided between five or six or more serious candidates, that's very good for Trump. 
Okay, Niall, as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm sending Mike Pompeo a condolences card and uh, we hope to talk to you next week. That's Niall Stanish, Associate Editor of The Hill. We're grateful to Niall, as always, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.